In Disney Pixar's 2017 animated smash hit, Coco, uh, is a song called Remember Me. Anybody seen Coco? Show of hands. It's great. It's on Netflix. You should watch it. Uh, I'll read you some of the lyrics from this song called Remember Me. Remember me, though I have to say goodbye. Remember me. Don't let it make you cry. Forever, if I'm far away, I hold you in my heart. I sing a secret song to you each night we are apart. Remember me. So it's a pretty song. Uh, and the gist of the song is a father singing to his daughter and reminding his daughter that even though he might be far away, even though he might be traveling or at work or wherever, he's still thinking of his daughter um, and still loves his daughter and she should remember him. Uh, and it's a, it, it's a nice song, but in a sense, isn't it sort of obvious, right? Uh, barring any crazy memory condition on behalf of the daughter, it's obvious that the daughter will remember the father. It strikes me as a little bit obvious. And, and, and likewise, in our passage in 2 Timothy this morning, we have a fairly obvious command where Paul is commanding Timothy to remember Jesus Christ. In the middle of the second chapter of the book, after admiring Timothy's faith in Christ several times throughout the book. So it strikes us as a little obvious, uh, but as we dig in, we'll come to discover something that is absolutely essential to our Christian journey. Uh, Paul commands Timothy to remember Jesus Christ. And since this is the Bible, since this is God's love letter to each one of us, uh, God, in, in, in a very real sense, is commanding us commanding you to remember Jesus Christ. It's as if, it's as if Jesus is singing his own version of, of remember me to each of us this morning. So with that said, please turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2, starting in verse 8. That's 2 Timothy, chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And we'll read through verse 13. 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 8, it says this, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This morning, we will be instructed to endure in the Christian life, remembering the example of Jesus and Paul. If you're taking notes this morning, this is sort of our, our main point from this passage. Endure in the Christian life, following the example of Jesus and Paul. Endure in the Christian life, remembering the experience of Jesus and Paul. And we'll see that play out in three different experiences in this text. First, the experience of Christ. Second, the experience of Paul. And third, the common experience that all believers share. Um, so we'll be instructed to endure in the Christian life, and we're going to see that through three different experiences this morning, the experience of Christ, of Paul, and of all of us. So let's first examine the experience of Jesus. 
look back at the, the first part of verse 8. It says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Let's stop right there. Now, it's important to set this verse into the broader context of the rest of the chapter and the rest of the book. Uh, last week, from Pastor John, we heard those three illustrations of what endurance looks like in the Christian life. Uh, endurance looks like the soldier, the athlete, the farmer. Paul has been in the midst of encouraging Timothy to stick it out in ministry uh, as Timothy has been in the, in the trenches uh, of, of ministry. Um, and what's also interesting is that Paul is writing this letter from prison. Um, so in, a, in another sense, Paul is, is reminding himself and encouraging himself to stick it out and, uh, amidst his suffering. And it's in that context that we see this command, remember Jesus Christ. Uh, and at first glance, again, like I said earlier, this, uh, this command might seem flippant or, or unnecessary or, or obvious. Uh, it's as if you, we, we can picture it as if Timothy's saying, like, remember Jesus. Yeah, Paul, I got that. Uh, I'm your protege. You've been telling me that my whole life. You just got done with saying in chapter one uh, that you admired the faith that was in me and in my grandmother and in my mother, and that's been in me my whole life. So, of, of course, I remember Jesus, Paul. Uh, why, why are you telling me to remember Jesus. But if we dig down a little bit here, we see a, a real treasure emerge. Because if we're being honest, do we remember Jesus Christ? If I'm being honest, there are plenty of times I don't remember him. Times when I'm at the peak of my selfishness, when I respond exclusively out of anger and sin. Times where I'm at the, the peak of anxiety and stress and, and lash out in all the wrong ways. I mean, just last night is a great example of times when I was not remembering Jesus Christ. We were leaving my parents' house uh, and driving back on 294, and for some crazy reason, all but one lane of 294 was blocked. And if you know a little something about me, there are two things that really get on my nerves quite easily. One is traffic, and the next is the sound of people having hiccups. And we're in traffic. It's 10 o'clock at night. We're coming back from my parents' house. We're in two and a half hours of traffic, and my lovely wife has had pickups for 45 minutes straight. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I, needless to say, did not remember Jesus Christ in that moment. Uh, but I think it, it goes deeper, obviously, than that. There are times when we don't remember who Jesus is by, based on the way that we're thinking, on the way that we're living our very life. Uh, and I think I'm not alone. We all have times who we, we forget who we are, let alone who Jesus is. Moments when we're not worshiping God, but we're worshiping something or someone other than God. And, and it's to these moments of suffering and pain and sinfulness that Paul sort of aims this command. He doesn't aim the command at the general Christian experience. Obviously, we remember who Jesus is. He aims it at the suffering that Timothy's going through, at the suffering that Paul himself is going through. Remember Jesus Christ in the midst of suffering and trials and pain. And, and again, this may seem obvious, but this command appears throughout the whole Bible, right? In the Old Testament, God is always introducing himself as the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt, Israel. Remember who I am, in a sense. In Psalm 106, it said that, that after Israel was rescued from Egypt, uh, the quote from Psalm 106 says, but they soon forgot who God was. 
Even Israel, God's chosen people, rescued in a very literal sense from Egypt, forgot who God was. So in that sense, remembering Jesus Christ is perhaps the the central tenet of what we call Christian sanctification. When we recall to mind who Jesus is, what he has done, and what he will do when he comes again, we advance in this spiritual life. When we remember Jesus Christ by submerging ourselves in the word and and surrounding ourselves with a Christian community and and keeping prayer throughout all of the rhythms of our life, uh, when we meditate on what he has done for us, we make ourselves more like him. Now let's dig in further to this verse. It says, Remember Jesus Christ, but pay attention to this next part, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Now, it's easy to to glance over this as well, um, but written here is perhaps one of the most concise summaries of the gospel in the entire New Testament. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. This emphasizes two things about Jesus in this little uh, two snippets risen from the dead, offspring of David. First, uh, it emphasizes Jesus' person. Jesus was fully God and fully man. And we see this here. Jesus being risen from the dead emphasizes his divinity. And Jesus being the offspring of David through his earthly father, Joseph, emphasizes his humanity. So we see Jesus' person. And second, this description emphasizes his work. Um, When Paul writes of Jesus being risen from the dead, our minds should go immediately to the work that he did on our behalf on the cross. Uh, God sent Jesus to live a perfect life and die in our place for our sins, and then he was raised on the third day in defeat of death, hell, sin, and Satan. And when we see risen from the dead, we see that Jesus' work on our behalf is, is to restore our relationship with God. And the second half of of that section also emphasizes the work of Jesus. When Paul writes of Jesus being the offspring of David, uh, he's also writing of Jesus' work. Remember, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, and he came to establish a kingdom in the line of David. He's sort of this greater David, this greater king, not only of Israel, but over the whole world. Uh, and if you remember from the, from the Gospels, right, it wasn't the, the kingdom that the Jews of the first century were looking for. They were looking for a political ruler to set them free from Roman oppression. Instead, Jesus came to inaugurate a spiritual kingdom that's sort of already here, but not yet here in its entirety, which will be fully established when he comes again, which is yet future. So here in this short half of a verse is a complete description of the gospel. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Remember his person, fully God, fully man. Remember his work, saving you on the cross, being raised from the dead, establishing a kingdom that we, the church, are included in. Remember Jesus Christ, the offspring of David, raised from the dead. So I have to ask you this morning, do you remember Jesus Christ? Do you remember his person or his work on your behalf? How in your life have you forgotten who Jesus is by the way that you're responding, not out of love, but out of anger? Not out of gentleness, but out of anxiety and worry? In what ways have you forgotten who Jesus is? 
And again, what's interesting about this passage is Paul is writing this from prison. Paul's not writing this from this magnificent circumstance uh, where he's sort of preaching from the, the, the high point, the climax of his life. He, he's writing it literally in chains, telling Timothy, who is in a season of suffering as well, in the trenches of ministry, to remember Jesus Christ. And remember, it's to that point of suffering that Paul emphasizes this command. And when he says, remember Jesus Christ, in a very real sense, he's saying, when you remember Jesus Christ in suffering, you are sharing in the suffering of Jesus. Uh, one pastor put it this way, he said, don't, don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your suffering. When you're in the midst of a hard season, don't forget who Jesus is, but remember him and be grateful that you have an opportunity to, in a very, uh, in a very real way, embody this very suffering of Jesus Christ. So first we've seen that we are to remember Jesus Christ, the experience of Jesus. Second, we're going to take a look at the experience of Paul, the experience of Paul. Let's remember once again, he's, Paul's writing this letter from prison, not a great circumstance for Paul. Uh, Nero, the emperor of Rome, had just burned the city to the ground, and he blamed the Christians for this crime. And Paul is one of the leaders of the, the Christian church. So Paul is unjustly imprisoned for a crime which he did not commit, and he writes to Timothy to encourage him as he is in the trenches of ministry. Let's pick it up in verse 8. It says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Notice what Paul says right there after commanding Timothy to remember Christ. He says, as preached in my gospel. Here Paul is doing two things. First, he's embodying himself the command to remember Jesus Christ. It's as if he's telling Timothy, as he does elsewhere in his letters, to follow him as he follows Christ. He's saying, Timothy, follow me as I follow Christ. What we do as a Christian community, we say, follow me, brother and sister in Christ, as I follow Christ. And second, uh, Paul is taking ownership of his spiritual life. It's, it's not as preached in the gospel, abstract thought concept. It's as preached in my gospel. And, and we should all do this as well. Uh, we need to take ownership of the gospel. The gospel is good news, yes, but it's good news to each one of us. When we share the gospel, we can share our good news, uh, our gospel. Let's look back at, at verse 9 again. It says, For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Again, Paul is unjustly accused of a crime. While his personal circumstances are horrible, he views his suffering correctly. He is suffering for the gospel. He is remembering Christ in the midst of his suffering. And again, I have to ask, do you do this? If we're being honest... Right? Aren't many of us more prone to grumbling and complaining when we suffer? I know I am. Uh, when I'm going through a season of suffering, I often don't think of Christ at all. Sure, a prayer here or there, uh, but Paul's exhortation reminds me to break myself out of that cycle. Paul, in a season of unimaginable suffering, says, I'm bound with chains as a common, petty criminal, and I'm still remembering Christ. You should do the same. Paul's eyes are on the prize. 
I just finished an, uh, a really great book called Lone Survivor by Marcus Luttrell. Uh, it's a story of uh, United States Navy SEALs, um, and it, it tells a, a specific story about a, an operation that went horribly wrong in, in Afghanistan, um, and the, the heroism and bravery involved with that. But the book starts by talking about how this man, Marcus, uh, joined the, the Navy SEALs and what the training looked like um, during the time when he was, was joining the military. Um, and the, the training to become a Navy SEAL is crazy intense, and what makes it unique is that the SEALs are a, a subset of the United States Navy. Um, and being a Navy SEAL is itself a volunteer sort of program within the Navy. Uh, so during this incredibly grueling, ridiculously hard training, all you have to do to quit the Navy SEALs is walk up and ring a bell. There's a bell hanging in this sort of common square. There's a picture of it in the book. You walk up, you ring the bell, you're done. You're back in the Navy. You will never be a Navy SEAL. And, and they put it right next to where they do all of this crazy, intense exercising. All they have to do to quit is ring a bell. And, and what struck me as I was writing this sermon is I think there's a common thread between the people that make it through Navy SEAL training and Paul, who's in prison. And, and perhaps in a way, this is a good follow-up to the soldier illustration from the text last week. When, when the training is at its toughest, when the suffering is the most intense, I mean, there's sleep deprivation, there's grueling calisthenics, crazy amounts of exercise. I couldn't do one-tenth of one percent of what these people do with my current state of, you know, fitness. Um, what the recruits are told to do is remember why you came here. If you focus on why you came here, if you focus on the goal, you'll make it through anything. But if you take your mind off the goal and on how much pain you're in, you'll quit in 10 seconds. And Paul is saying the same thing. He's not focused on his suffering. He's not focused on the chains. He's focused on the Christ who is fulfilling his ministry through Paul being in chains. So Paul's in the same position here. And, and perhaps we can learn something of these experiences. When we're in suffering, we can't take our mind off of Christ and onto our suffering exclusively. We have to keep our minds on the goal, and the journey will happen from there. One pastor put it this way, when your tank is empty, remember that the tomb is empty and the throne is occupied. When your tank is empty, remember that the tomb is empty and the throne is occupied. You can endure anything if you have sufficient motivation and you have the right perspective. Let's read from verse 9 again. For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You see the contrast there? I'm bound, the word of God is not bound. Paul says he will endure anything and everything for the sake of the elect. He'll, he'll do anything to bring people to faith. And what's fascinating here is Paul isn't just speaking hypothetically. He's actually speaking from very firsthand experience. And here I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler alert of what we'll see later on in the book in chapter 4. Paul tells us, that God is using his imprisonment circumstances directly for his mission. 
Paul, at his first court hearing, at his first legal defense hearing, he is strengthened by the Holy Spirit, even though all of his followers abandon him. No, none of his friends show up at his court hearing, uh, but he is given strength from the Holy Spirit to share the gospel with all of the Gentiles present. So God has a plan to put Paul in suffering so that he can share the gospel with the people who are in authority over him. And imagine the impact that this might have had. People might have come to faith at a defense hearing where a Jewish man who became a Christian is proclaiming that he's in chains for a reason and the reason is to share the gospel with them. Imagine the impact that that can have. Paul is setting an example for us in this. When you're in seasons of suffering, think and pray about why God has put you here. Perhaps there are opportunities for you to get to know people, for you to share the gospel with people, for you to pray with and for people that wouldn't have existed apart from your suffering. Right? There are examples of this all throughout our church. Uh, one specific one comes to my mind. There's an example of, of a woman in our church dying of cancer, sharing the gospel with the doctors, the nurses, the hospital staff that wouldn't have been possible if she didn't have cancer. She kept her eyes on the prize. She embodied exactly what Paul was talking about here. So follow these examples. Remember Christ in the midst of your suffering. But the question remains, what are you going to do with your suffering? Will you remember Christ? Will you endure through horrible circumstance? Remember that as you're doing this, you're sharing in the very suffering of Christ and advancing in the Christian life in a way that, that a season of peace wouldn't have made possible. Now, to see more of this, let's move on to our third point this morning. So we've looked at the example of Jesus, the example of Paul. Now let's look at the shared example of all of us, the shared experience of us all. Look back at, at verses 11 through 13. It says, the saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. The dominant belief that experts have on this snippet on verses 11 through 13, is that Paul is quoting uh, perhaps from a popular Christian saying of the day, um, perhaps like, you know, the, the moody radio of the first century or something like that. Uh, or it's also possible that it's a, a, a segment, a, a stanza from a hymn. Um, so Paul could be quoting song lyrics the same way that I quoted song lyrics uh, to you earlier. And that's sort of the view I like to take just based on the structure um, the repetitive structure here, it's, it, it seems to me it's either some kind of poem or some kind of song. I won't try to sing it to you because I don't know the melody. Um, but let's dig in and look at these uh, four stanzas. The quote here has four stanzas. They take parallel form. It's very simple. They're basically four if-then statements. The first concerns conversion. It says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. This uh, is similar to what Paul elaborates on in Romans 6. Um, when you go home this afternoon, perhaps you can read Romans 6. It's very similar. The, the central idea is 
we die to ourselves, sharing in the death of Christ when we come to faith in him. Uh, We die to ourselves. We die to our old manner of life. We die to sin, and we are raised to new life, both here on earth and eternal life after death. So we see from, from, from Romans 6 and from this passage, if we die with Christ, we'll be raised to eternal life with Christ. And not only that, Jesus' resurrection gives us uh, the Holy Spirit living within us, which gives us the, the, the power and the capability to live new life here on earth as well. We have the power to overcome sin and experience the kingdom in a real, tangible, visceral way, uh, flawed as it may be in this fallen world. The second stanza concerns endurance, which we've been talking about at length um, so far this morning. It says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Paul here invites us to join in the very suffering of Christ. When suffering comes, we are not to go running, but instead we're to stick it out. Again, don't waste your suffering. There is something visceral about having an opportunity to share in even a part of Christ's suffering. And one popular pastor named Matt Chandler illustrated this a number of years ago. He was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. Um, he he is, is since in remission. He's, this happened about eight or ten years ago. Um, instead of yelling at God, he actually did an interview in which he said he was, quote, grateful, end quote, that God counted him worthy to suffer for him in this manner. He did an interview where he said, I'm grateful that I have cancer because it gives me the opportunity to share in even a portion of Christ's suffering. This is what Paul's talking about. In jail, on your deathbed, saying nothing but remember Jesus Christ, endure in the Christian life. And, and if we do this, if we endure in the Christian life, we reign with Jesus. We get to share in a part of his leadership of the kingdom. He's on the throne, but we reign with him as members of the church when we are in heaven. Let's move on to the, the third stanza. This concerns apostasy. It says, if we deny him, he also will deny us. This is likely referring, Paul's likely referring back to what Jesus says um, in Matthew chapter 10. He says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, this is Jesus speaking, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is a stern warning for both Timothy and all of us. And denial takes many forms in Scripture. Uh, Perhaps you're thinking of the example of Peter, who denied Christ three times in one night, um, who is still a Christian, though, you know, repented of this and and wrote two books of the Bible close to 2 Timothy. And there's also more full-blown denial that we see elsewhere in the New Testament. This warning is meant to remind us that if we are in a continual practice of denying Christ, uh, either before other people or in the way that we live our lives, we may not know Christ in the first place. Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospels, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, 
I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This stanza here in this hymn is an opportunity for us to examine ourselves. Do we know Christ? Maybe you're in here and you still haven't decided to believe in Jesus Christ. This is an opportunity for you to consider Jesus risen from the dead, descended from David, consider that he lived a perfect life and died on your behalf in your place so you could experience new life, so your relationship with God could be restored. Do you know Christ? And if you're in a practice of of denying him based on the way that you're living your life, this is an opportunity for you to come before the Lord in prayer, in humble repentance, ask him to fill you with his spirit, and, and ask him to help you experience victory over sin. Now let's move on to the fourth stanza this morning, the fourth and final stanza. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This stanza concerns faithlessness. Now, this sort of may come as a surprise. Um, The third stanza was about denying Christ, and here we have a a testament to God's great faithfulness. Commentators sort of break this down into two possible interpretations, and I think both of them have merit. Um, If Paul here is referring to non-believers, people who uh, have not believed in Jesus Christ, these people who, who may say that they did works in Jesus' name but do not know him, Um, we can still uphold God's faithfulness in that. God is faithful to judge the sin of those who do not ultimately come to believe in him at the end of days. God cannot deny himself, as the verse says. God cannot deny his character. So God is faithful in judgment of wickedness against those who choose to deny him. Uh, But Paul could also be talking about people like Peter, who though they did deny Christ, ultimately repented and turned back to him. God is faithful in this as well. Uh, And I think in one way or another, all of us here are proof of this faithfulness of God. Uh, Maybe you haven't denied Jesus Christ to other people, um, but we all have denied him in one manner or another in the way in which we live our lives that's not worthy of him. God is faithful, even in that, to bring us back into loving relationship with him, to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from our iniquity, and pave the way for us to accomplish new life. His mercies are new each and every morning. Even when you're at the peak of your faithlessness, God does not lose patience with you. God is at the peak of his faithfulness at all times. You could be running away, and he's just as faithful as he was when you were singing praises this morning. So this fragment of a hymn exemplifies our shared Christian experience. If we've died with him, we'll live with him. If we endure, we'll reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. And even when we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This morning we've seen three experiences. The experience of Christ the experience of Paul, and the shared experience we all have. We are to endure in the Christian life, following and remembering the example of Jesus and Paul. Remember, brother and sister, remember, church family, when you are in the trenches of your suffering, remember Christ. This is Jesus, remember me, written to each of you this morning.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you have done for each of us in Jesus. We thank you that though Jesus was fully God, he emptied himself and came down to live amongst sinful men and sinful women and died for all of us. Thank you that we have the opportunity in your word to come closer to remembering Jesus. I pray we would have done that this morning. I pray that you would lead the way through the Holy Spirit's work on our behalf that we would remember Jesus in good times and in bad times, in seasons of blessing, in seasons of suffering. Help us to remember Jesus Christ. Help us to follow in his example and share in his experience. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.